0: Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, September 22nd, we are studying Ezekiel chapter 7, verses 1 to 27. The end, disaster, the day of the Lord, the time of his visitation, these things have come. With such words, Ezekiel preaches plainly and directly concerning the condemnation the Lord is bringing upon his people. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Andrew Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharp Iron.
1: Good to be back.
0: So we get started this morning, Pastor Price. Let's talk a little context. We're in Ezekiel chapter 7 today. What should we know about the prophet, his ministry, what he's been preaching so far that'll help us into today's text?
1: Yeah, so this Ezekiel is taking place in between the uh, the initial siege of Jerusalem um, and, uh, and the destruction of Jerusalem. So Jerusalem is first... Uh, you know, kind of taken over by uh, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king um, and uh, the Chaldeans as they're known as um, from that, from the region of, uh, of Babylonia. It's um, first taken over right around, uh, you know, uh, what would it be? Uh, 605 BC, something like that. And uh, you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong on my, on my dates exactly. Um, and then it's it's finally destroyed on the uh, like you know something like w- within 20 years I think it's like 587 right. BC or BC yeah yeah so yeah
0: so be-
1: yeah so between that time um, so after when they first took over they they took a lot of the um, kind of bright young men um, who were you know, probably in priestly glasses, uh, Levites, um, and other just you know smart men um, who would have been prospects to be counselors to the king, and they carried them to Babylon and uh, saw them as, as useful. So we, you know, the, the the book of Daniel, you know, of course you got uh, Daniel and then his his uh, three other friends. Um, whose Hebrew names I, I don't want to, I know, but I don't want to say, we know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's like Ahaziah, um, uh, Amaziah, gosh, see, I shouldn't have even tried. But, uh, we'll, we'll but anyway... We'll get there. When um, we study
0: the book of Daniel, we'll make sure we get those right.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So at any rate, Ezekiel is one of the guys also who's kind of carried off. And so the the, the book of Ezekiel begins where he's talking about how he's, um, he's in the... Uh, he's, he's among the captives by the river, by the river, uh, Shabar. Um, and this is when God, you know, comes to him, um, reveals himself to him and, uh, you know, gives him these these prophecies to speak to, uh, to the people of Israel. Um, by the time we get to uh, chapter seven, where we are today, um, God has gone through various signs, um, Object lessons, if you will, uh, to 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 Ezekiel to kind of describe what's going to happen, uh, and and these are very common things that he would do. He does this with uh, with Jeremiah as well. You know, where he has Jeremiah wear crusty underwear. You know, <laughs> and uh, and and you know, uh, Isaiah walks around naked. You know, for three years and you know stuff like that to, to very kind of graphic signs. He does the same thing with uh, with Ezekiel to demonstrate you know, the, the, the judgment that God is going to bring upon the people of, of Israel, both, both Northern Israel, as well as the kingdom of Judah. Um, And so, so you have in, uh, in chapter six, him, you know, talking about this, uh, this judgment that's coming. um, And he, but then he mentions that he's going to leave a remnant um, among those who are scattered through the countries. And so there's that kind of glimmer of good news there in chapter six, but in chapter seven, uh, this is just one of those chapters that doesn't have any good news. Uh, it's all about judgment. It's all about God's wrath uh, coming against the people of Israel, the entire people of Israel, and uh, and 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 he and it, and it talks a lot about uh, you know the. The charges brought up against them, you know, their abominations and, and why God is is coming against them, um, specifically because of their idolatry.
0: Yeah, there's not a whole lot of good news here in in the first part of Ezekiel. There have been those glimmers. The remnant theme came up most clearly in chapter six. It was it was present there a little bit in chapter five when Ezekiel cut his hair off. And he was told to take mm-hmm. a couple of those hairs and put them in his belt. But it really, the remnant theme is certainly not the emphasis in Ezekiel at this point. He is he is very clearly preaching judgment. and And just thinking about this chapter as a whole, before we dig into the text itself, this text strikes me as a, I don't. When I listen to to this particular chapter, Ezekiel sounds a lot like what what we might think of as like a street corner preacher. I mean, he just you know the end, disaster, the day of the Lord. He it's it's very choppy almost, and just throwing it out there, just putting it out there, no holds barred, in, in a way that I don't know. Maybe and I guess it's it's fitting to his context with the end being so close. I, it, it strikes me, I suppose, because I think in our own minds, we tend to look down on that kind of preaching. You know, he's just a doom and gloom, hellfire and brimstone type of preacher. But I I think you see Ezekiel take up that mantle here, I, I, I suppose, just a, as a reflection, that there's a place for this. This kind of preaching is needed among God's people.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Um, what's what's important to to consider here is earlier in Ezekiel where he you know he eats the scroll right and and the word of the Lord has been put into his mouth mm. and God has given him his word and this is you know the Ezekiel 7 begins with the word of the Lord came to me um, and uh, you know saying thus saith the Lord God to the land of Israel and so this is not just a guy going out and you know, uh, uh, preaching on his own, um, he he is called by God, and but and yet at the same time, it's it, it's a it's an important uh, comparison or an important detail that that you point out there, that nevertheless, th- though he does have a call from God, he 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 certainly looks like just kind of a a a rogue uh, street preacher, and that's often what we look like. You know, it, it doesn't really matter. know we can make the distinction in our minds and and to to the faithful that you know that that we that 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 no one should preach unless he is called unless he has sent um and that god actually calls preachers to do this stuff publicly but the world the idolaters those who are caught up in their sins are going to see us as fanatics no matter what because they're opposed to the word so you know and you look at how god Treats his prophets or, or 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 portrays his prophets, or presents his prophets. And he has them do things that are kind of, they look crazy, you know, like lie on your side for, you know, for uh, you know, a bunch of days, you know, uh, uh, eat uh, eat your food with cow dung, um, you know, as as kindling. Um, that, that those kinds of things that he has his prophets do. Um, really make them look like fools, but the, again, this is God's judgment against the people. Um, it is uh, it is to demonstrate to them that their uh, rejection of His word has made them uh, a stumbling block, has made them a scandal, has has made them fools. And so I'm reminded of what Paul says in First Corinthians one that yeah. the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So you know you might you might You know, you should have, if you're a preacher of the word, you should have confidence that God has called you, you know, through his church, that he has prepared you for this, um, and that you are duly and rightly called. But remember that the world isn't going to see that. You know, they're going to, the world, the ones, specifically the ones who reject the word, they don't care whether you have your credentials, you know, which Ezekiel certainly does have his credentials um, and his call from God. But, you know, that that's irrelevant to those who are perishing.
0: Well, let's take a look at what Ezekiel is given to preach in chapter 7. We're starting at the first verse. The word of the Lord came to me, and you, O son of man, thus says the Lord God to the land of Israel, an end, the end has come upon the four corners of the land. Now the end is upon you, and I will send my anger upon you. I will judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare you, nor will I have pity, but I will punish you for your ways, while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, disaster after disaster, behold, it comes, an end has come. The end has come, it has awakened against you. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come to you, O inhabitant of the land. The time has come, the day is near, a day of tumult, and not of joyful shouting on the mountains. Now I will soon pour out my wrath upon you, and spend my anger against you, and judge you according to your ways, and I will punish you for all your abominations. And my eye will not spare, nor will I have pity. I will punish you according to your ways while your abominations are in your midst. Then you will know that I am the Lord who strikes. We'll pause there. That's through verse 9 of the text. Pastor Price, one of the things that stands out, how often the Lord says he's going to judge the people of Israel according to their ways. Why is that significant language from the prophet?
1: Yeah, yeah, this is, this is significant because uh, the way, someone's way, describes his his life, you know, his way of life, his worship, right? Or even, we might even say his worldview, um, you know, it's it's really no coincidence that uh, in Acts, uh, you know, first we see it, I believe we first see it in Acts chapter 9, uh, where uh, Saul, who's later known as Paul, is persecuting uh, those who are followers of the way, right? So the first the the first title um, for the for for Christianity, um after Jesus ascended into heaven was known as the way, right. And of course, we know what does Jesus say in John chapter fourteen, I am the way, the truth and the life, right. So this is uh, this is contrasting then to God's ways, um, that the ways of the wicked are, it's like their religion, you know. Um, Psalm one says, "Blessed is the man who, who uh, walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor, uh, nor stands in the way of sinners." Right? Um, that uh, the he and, and then and then Proverbs one, you know, is kind of a it's almost Solomon reiterating that that you know for for that uh, beginning of the Psalms of his father. Um, Solomon is reiterating the same kind of message you know telling his son you know my son do not go in the way of the wicked right um this is it's it's much more um than uh than than just uh doing this or that bad thing but it's being within the communion right um, of of unbelievers um, having fellowship with darkness um, whereas you know, contrasted to that, you have uh, the ways of the Lord, um, which are always just, you know, and, and Ezekiel re- re- returns to this later on in chapters 18 and 33, um, where, you know, he talks about the ways of the Lord being just. And, uh, you know, Proverbs 8.22, uh, the, the wisdom says, the Lord got me or possessed me or, or, or uh, you know, obtained me from the beginning of his ways, right? So, so the way of God is the eternal way, you know, it's, 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 it's his eternal life uh, from eternity, um, which is, which is good and just. Um, and so, so God is, he's setting up this distinction, this contrast, this dichotomy between the way of the wicked and the way of the Lord. Um, and so, so, so he's, He's showing this really as a false religion. He's not just punishing them for this or that sin, but punishing them for their way, for their entire worldview, their entire religion. Where your heart is, there where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, right? Uh, so, so he's he's punishing them in short for unbelief, for idolatry.
0: Yeah, it's amazing how often it comes back to idolatry in the Old Testament and in the New Testament as well. That's the the number one sin. It all comes back from to that and that language of the way certainly plays into that the the judgment then that's being proclaimed ezekiel has a couple of of ways that he talks about it here at least uh, there's four that i can identify pretty cu- quickly he talks about the end he talks about the disaster he talks about the time and he talks about the day all all of these those ways of speaking about this judgment that's coming what what judgment is in view here on the one hand it sounds you know pretty specific but then it also sounds universal in in some sense as well what judgment is in view here yeah
1: so you know it, it's helpful to understand old testament prophecy uh Like you're looking at a mountain range, and I'm sure you've heard this uh, this analogy described uh, before. I'm sure you were taught this as well, and I think it's very it's very helpful. Where if you look at a mountain range, you know you have uh, you just all the mountains look like they're right next to each other, and you could just look at the mountain range and say they are the mountain. But if you actually go to the mountain, they're you know often miles apart, right? So so it's a similar thing with prophecy where the prophet god will prophesy of something um and in view he has the whole picture and in view he has the end the last day when jesus comes back on the last day of the judge living and the dead but in the in the in in the process of this uh of, of describing this he's also alluding to particular judgments um and in this case he's he's a uh, He's describing the judgment against uh, Israel and specifically against Jerusalem, which is about to happen, which he's going to be m- m- more explicit later on. When he talks about, you know, the Gentiles coming defiling the the, the, the secret place of the Lord, um, and 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 this is so. so this happened in in five eighty seven B C. when when finally uh, when when King uh, Zedekiah was was, you know, killed, or he, his eyes were, were plucked out, his kids were, were were murdered right in front of him, were slayed right in front of him. Um, but this also, this this is, what it has in view is, uh, he talks about the four corners of the land, um, or, or the four corners of the earth. And, uh, but he's speaking, four corners of, of, of the land um the earth it, it's a common phrase that's used to describe the complete and thorough work of God on the land right so you have the other examples like Isaiah, Isaiah 11 and then a couple places in Revelation where it describes it's describing the entire earth the entire world um all nations uh, it's a thorough, so, so the four corners being that thorough recompense that God brings about to everyone. Here specifically in Ezekiel 7, it's referring, it's referring to the land of Israel, um, and it's signifying, by saying four corners, it's signifying both northern Israel and Judah together. So, of course, Israel was united under David and Solomon, but because of Solomon's sins, God sent Jeroboam, um, the, Ephra- uh, the Ephraimite, um, to lead a rebellion, so that in after Solomon died, in the days of his son Rehoboam, the the, the land the kingdom was divided so after that you had the northern kingdom which is known simply as Israel and then you have the southern kingdom which is known as as Judah um, but here you have a uniting of them in judgment and and but but what also is significant though is that he he says that they're they are scattered throughout the earth right so so it's so so in a way it it, it is, he is talking about the judgment on all the earth, but he's doing so from the angle of addressing this specific judgment on Jerusalem, um, with, with in view, the judgment of, of, uh, the, of all the kind of outward church. Right. And so you'll see it like Jesus will do this kind of stuff where he'll say, you know, he'll talk about the judgment on the whole world, but then he'll often focus on the judgment of the, of the visible church. So, uh, like in Matthew, uh, 25, you know, you have the, the 10 virgins, you know, which is really the visible church. And then finally, you know, it's revealed that only the, the, the five, the, the five wise virgins are, are, uh, actually the true Israel. They're the true church. And, 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 uh, the other one, you know, he doesn't, ha- he doesn't know them, Uh, and it's the same thing with the sheep and the goats, right? So, so the goats are, are kind of external members of the Church. Uh, and and yet, at the same time, Jesus talks about this coming over all the earth, right? So so there's this judgment of all the living and the dead. Um, but then, some often, judgment will focus in on the kind of outward Church. So this is what's going on here in Ezekiel, that he's talking about, he has in view a few different events, in a few different angles. Um, but what he, but his, his overall scope um, and his final, you know, understanding of judgment is, is has in, in view Christ's final return. And remember, Jesus refers to his own death as judgment on the earth. Right. So, so these are all just kind of different mountain peaks, but it's one mountain range. And, um, and, and, and so this prophecy is, uh, you know, it's a, it's a particular prophecy about God's judgment, um, but it kind of pops up in, in different manifestations um, that is that has has in in sight the final sudden judgment of, of Christ who will come like a peak in the night.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that, you know, your mention of one of those mountain peaks being Christ on the cross, the, the judgment day that happens there, oh. seeing Good Friday... And I suppose you know, really, Easter included with that as well as this day, this end, this disaster. That that all of that, I mean, that is a mountain peak. That's going to be one of the ways that I I think we're going to be able to see some some good news out of this, even even though it's kind of you have to work through those mountain peaks. But when we see that one particular, I think that's going to help. And and one of the ways that maybe we can get there is is through this refrain that gets repeated twice in what we've read so far at the end of the text, as we'll read again later, and really throughout Ezekiel, that the Lord's purpose in doing these things is so that you or they will know that I am the Lord. We hear that in verse 4 and in verse 9, and again, it's going to show up in verse 27 as well. The Lord is doing these things to show who he is. That's certainly true in judgment here, but then, when we again, when we think about Christ, we also see it in his mercy as well.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You know, that you may know that I am the Lord is a common refrain throughout the prophets. And we first we first see it in uh, in exodus. Uh, Exodus chapter six talks about how the people of Israel will know that he is the Lord um, when he rescues them from from slavery in Egypt. Um, and he is, he establishes himself as their God. And that, you know, that's the gospel. That's, that's really what, what God does for us. And so that we would know that he is the Lord and he does that by saving us, by calling us to be his own, um, uh, just as, as, uh, as he has redeemed us in Christ. Um, and then, but in Exodus seven, he talks about, you know, bringing judgment upon Egypt, uh, and, and so that they know that he is the Lord. And, this is uh this shows then that the prophecy that 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 uh excuse me that 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 redemption is always hidden under judgment. I mean you go back to God destroying the world through the flood Well, in doing that in bringing judgment upon the world, he also saved Noah uh, and his family, eight souls and all and so we see this uh like John fourteen twenty Jesus says uh you know, the, the at, at that day, I'll just read verse 19 uh, as well. He says, a little while longer and the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live. Uh, and Because I live, you will also live at that day. And of course, there Jesus is referring to his death and resurrection, right? That's um, one of the mountain peaks, as you said. Uh, and, and then verse 20, he says, at that day, you will know that I am in the in my father and you and me and I in you right So there is that culmination of him knowing that Jesus is the Lord right and and Paul talks about this in Philippians 2 uh, as he uh, I think he takes this from Isaiah 45 I want to say um, that um, you know every every knee will will bow, every knee will bend, every every tongue will will, will swear allegiance, so will, will will confess. Um, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And this this includes all flesh, right, above the earth, uh, upon the earth, uh, and under the earth, um, and and whether they believed or not, whether they are saved uh, through faith or they are condemned through unbelief, all will give an account. All will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so all of the and this goes back to what we were talking about the God judging them for their way, is that it's it's not necessarily about this or that particular sin that he's bringing judgment. Of course, he's bringing an account of all things, all things thought and said and, and, and done. Uh, but what it all culminates in is either faith or unbelief. And so what, what, what's being revealed through the judgment is whether people believed in God's promise. Right, I mean, Jesus, why what does Jesus say that the uh, in in uh, John 16? Why does he say that the Holy Spirit will convict the world of sin mm-hmm. because they have not believed in me? Right. So, so what, what's being brought to a reckoning is is unbelief, um, and of course, God then will bring out the, the evidence of that unbelief.
0: Mm-hmm. So. Right. Right, yeah, and he's going to bring that out more in the rest of our text, which we will pick up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO. We're talking Ezekiel chapter 7 with Pastor Andrew Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, September twenty second. We are studying Ezekiel chapter seven, verses one to twenty seven, with Pastor Andrew Price. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri. Pastor Price. Prior to the break, we were talking about those recognition formulas, as is what they're sometimes called. You will know that I am the Lord. Uh, just one more thing that I I read in uh, Horace Hummel's commentary in the the Concordia Commentary series that I I thought was a helpful comment it's in verse nine where the Lord says, you will know that I am the Lord. And then he adds who strikes. And and Dr. Hummel points out that that word for strikes there is the same word that's used in Isaiah 53, where the servant of the Lord is said to be the one who is stricken, smitten, and afflicted—it's that smitten mm. word there—and I, I thought that was just a, a great connection there. Again, thinking about that idea of the mountain peaks that you you brought out earlier, when when you start to read, say, oh, verses eight and nine in this text, in that light, I mean, it, you do get a picture of Good Friday. Pour out my wrath upon you. Spend my anger. Against you, judge you now according to your ways. The, the way that is placed upon Jesus as the Lamb of God. But when, we, when you read it in that light, again you, you see how the. I think. How did you phrase it earlier? That in judgment you see the redemption as well. I, you said it better than I did. But something yeah, to hidden, that effect.
1: Hidden under judgment is always redemption.
0: Well, and in that light, then when you when you make that connection that Dr. Hummel does, I mean, I think you there's another connection to the gospel from this text, that the judgment that is experienced by the people of God on that day in 587 BC points forward to the, the time, the day, when the Lord poured out the wrath, the judgment, on his own Son on the cross. That's right,
1: that's right. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, you Yeah, Jesus is the, you know, he is the center of God's judgment, and the cross is really at the center i mean we we talk about the last day as the kind of the consummation of the age right but the fullness of time is when god sent forth his son to be born of a woman born under the law that is under the judgment of the law uh to to redeem those who are under the law and so as christians understand this that, that we recognize in the cross that center of judgment you know and, and so we you know this is why um you know, there's that hymn that uh, the old favorite of, of lots of people. The last stanza goes, "Hold thou thy cross before my closing eyes." Right, that says, as I'm about to face death, I'm about to face the judgment. I have the cross of Christ uh, in, in, in the forefront of, of my mind and my heart. Um, that 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 is where the judgment of God was carried out on my behalf, so that the second death uh, does not affect me. That I'm not uh, I'm not swept away with the, with the ungodly.
0: Right, and that, that is because of Christ crucified in our place. Let's keep reading here in Ezekiel chapter 7. We left off now. We're picking up in verse 10. Behold the day. Behold, it comes. Your doom has come. The rod has blossomed. Pride has budded. Violence has grown up into a rod of wickedness. None of them shall remain, nor their abundance, nor their wealth. Neither shall there be preeminence among them. The time has come. The day has arrived. Let not the buyer rejoice, nor the seller mourn. For wrath is upon all their multitude. For the seller shall not return to what he has sold while they live. For the vision concerns all their multitude. It shall not turn back. And because of his iniquity, none shall maintain his life. They have blown the trumpet and made everything ready. But none goes to battle. For my wrath is upon all their multitude. The sword is without. Pestilence and famine are within. He who is in the field dies by the sword. And him who is in the city, famine and pestilence devour. And if any survivors escape, they will be on the mountains like doves of the valleys, all of them moaning, each one over his iniquity. All hands are feeble, and all knees turn to water. They put on sackcloth, and horror covers them. Shame is on all faces, and baldness on all their heads. They cast their silver into the streets, and their gold is like an unclean thing. Their silver and gold are not able to deliver them in the day of the wrath of the Lord. They cannot satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it, for it was the stumbling block of their iniquity. His beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it. Therefore I make it an unclean thing to them, and I will give it into the hands of foreigners for prey and to the wicked of the earth for spoil, and they shall profane it. I will turn my face from them, and they shall profane my treasured place. Robbers shall enter and profane it. Forge a chain, for the land is full of bloody crimes, and the city is full of violence. I will bring the worst of the nations to take possession of their houses. I will put an end to the pride of the strong, and their holy places shall be profaned. When anguish comes, they will seek peace, but there shall be none. Disaster comes upon disaster. Rumor follows rumor. They seek a vision from the prophet, while the law perishes from the priest and counsel from the elders. The king mourns, the prince is wrapped in despair, and the hands of the people of the land are paralyzed by terror. According to their way, I will do to them, and according to their judgments, I will judge them, and they shall know that I am the Lord. That's the rest of Ezekiel chapter 7, that was verses 10 through 27. Pastor Price, as we get into this part of the text, the Lord gets a little bit more specific with some of the things that are going on here, some of the charges that he's bringing against the people of Jerusalem. What do we see in those first couple of verses of this part of the text?
1: Yeah, so here he's, you know, he's He's describing what really makes up, you know, the symptoms, if you will, of, of their their false religion or their false ways. Um, and these are abominations, um, and then there's pride, and then there's violence, um, and uh, you know this 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 pride. Now abominations would be all sorts of uh, you know false worship, um, sexual morality, um, perverted things, even um, like like you know like sodomy and, and stuff like that. Um, and uh, and then but and then of course violence, you know, is is uh, uh, what is going to manifest, and you know, murder and stuff like that. Uh, injustice, you know, uh, the the people people getting away with murder because they are in high positions or know someone. so there's that partiality. Um, and uh, And that goes back to you know at the end where he says I will judge you according to your own judgment. So it is according to your own, your own act of carrying out justice has been wicked and partial, and therefore I will judge you according to that. Um, but then in, in the pride, I think, is, is, is very significant. And it should remind us of Ezekiel 16, where he describes the, the sin of or the transgression of Sodom. And it's very interesting that the last thing he mentions uh, of the sin against Sodom is that she committed abominations, which that should remind us of the, the sodomy that was being you know, practiced, uh, that, that they were trying to practice against uh, the, the angels uh, in Lot's household. Um, but the first thing that Ezekiel mentions of their sins is pride, right? Um, and, uh, you know, this is, there's no coincidence that, that you have, uh, the movement that celebrates, uh, and, and promotes this, this, this abomination, um, in, in our culture is called the pride movement, right? I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, these are the three things that, uh, that he describes. Um, But but again, it's not it's not that he's judging them necessarily for for uh, this or that kind of blunder. But these three things are manifest and and prove that they that they have a false way that their religion is false, that their hearts are dark and that they that, that they're unbelievers.
0: From that description of the charges, these symptoms that are coming out of their false way, their false religion, the prophet then moves into a description more of the judgment and and just how awful it's going to be, and how I mean, life as as the people would have known it on a day-to-day basis will be completely useless and will be overturned completely. I mean, the, the doesn't matter how strong your economy is at that moment when the judgment comes. It's going to come, it's going to get you, whether it, it comes by the sword, by pestilence, by famine, it's going to get you. you. You do have that remnant theme that pops up there in verse 16 with the matter of survivors, but even they are not described in the most happy of terms. Now, help us into some mm-hmm. of these descriptions that the, the Lord gives concerning the judgment that is coming.
1: Yeah, and you know, this when we pair this up with what Jesus says in Matthew 24 and Luke 17 and 21, um, where he describes the the, the, the judgment, um, it, it really helps us understand, you know, the way in which Jesus is talking. So, for example, when Jesus says, you know, those who are on the housetops do not go to get your goods, or let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, um, you know, we might think, is he giving directions for his people? I think in a sense, he is, overall, he's warning them of this. And, of course, this, this is another one of those mountain. Mount, one of the mountain peaks would be, would be the destruction of Jerusalem, the final destruction of the temple by the Romans. But then the overall scope is the last day. But but it seems that Jesus is is speaking in the way that the prophet Ezekiel is speaking, uh, where it's more descriptive. Where he's saying, you know, those who those who are going about their regular lives, um, there's going to be no escape. So flee to the mountain. Um, that's well, yeah. That, that's what people are going to do. You know, let the let them flee to the mountain. In other words, you know, let them do it. Because when they get to the mountain, they're still not going to escape the judgment. Um, so, you know, so uh, uh, this this way of talking um, in Ezekiel is, is is reflected in Christ, um, whose whose point is that this is going to come suddenly. Um, you know, this singular judgment is going to come suddenly and it's going to be thorough. You're not going to be able to escape it. Um, And so Jesus, you know, uses similar things where he talks about rumors of wars. You know, Ezekiel talks about rumor upon rumor. Um, And, uh, you know, they're all the signs of the judgment. And so, you know, Jesus talks about this suddenness uh, by comparing it to the days of Noah and Lot. Right. People ate and drank. They did business. They married and stuff like that. And then there was sudden destruction. So Ezekiel's talking about the same thing. You know, they're, they're, people are buying and selling, but, you know, the one who the, the one who sells will not rejoice. Right. So uh, their gold and their silver are going to be valueless. Um, so but they're still going to be doing the things that they always do. They're not going to be they're not going to be prepared for it. They're going to be acting the way that they've always acted when the judgment comes. And, and then even those, like, as you said, you know, there are those who seem to kind of escape it, uh, by going to the mountains, but even there, they're, they're mourning with sackcloth. So it's not, it's not, I don't think he's saying, I don't think that he's saying the same thing that he says in the previous chapter where he talks about, you know, preserving his remnant there. Um, but, but, but rather that the mountains, I mean, even in the previous chapter, he talks about bringing judgment on the mountains. Mm-hmm. And that is to show that there's no escape, you know, and and this is how we are to see repentance, that we are to plead guilty of everything, and not try to find an escape in this or that lofty place, but let the mountains be flattened, let the valleys, you know, be be raised up, right, mm-hmm. and everything um, is is uh, is is before the Lord, and 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 everyone must give an account. That's judgment, and and we, we you know, there's no escape from that. There's no loophole. That's that's really what he's describing here.
0: Right. And, I mean, it's it's striking to me how, how much he, he says one of the places I think people would look to for refuge is their money. And, and yet, both mm-hmm. in verses, what, 12 and 13, you've got this matter of buying and selling, and that won't matter. And then in, in verse 19, again, you know, their silver, their gold— that's not going to be able to deliver them either they they can't satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs with it i mean that that to me reminds me of the some of the really horrific descriptions that that you get say in the book of lamentations concerning what mm-hmm. happens in in the famine in the siege of jerusalem and how awful mm-hmm. that was and and these people, mm-hmm. they may have their own money piled up, but it it literally does them absolutely no good when the judgment comes, and that's true on a practical level, and certainly on a theological level that this this mammon is a, a worthless idol.
1: Exactly, and you see you see this also in the days of Elisha, right, um, in Second uh, Kings, where these this actually happens, you know, where where the the money just loses its value and uh, people starve and. So yeah, yeah, that's 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 a good point, that money is, love of money is the root of all evil, and, and you can't serve God and mammon. Mm.
0: One of the other verses that stands out here in this text is, is verse 20, where the prophet says, "...his beautiful ornament they used for pride, and they made their abominable images and their detestable things of it." So the thought of turning something beautiful into something, there's that word pride again, and also, you know, this Mm-mm. is what the idols are made from. I mean, one thing it reminds me a little bit of, it sounds reminiscent of what happens with the golden calf at the foot of Mount Sinai, that, that idolatry is mm-hmm. in view, and, and how we would take, you know, good things, good created things, beautiful things, and turn them into the absolute worst things by, by worshiping yeah. them. And, I mean, that, the golden calf is a perfect image of that.
1: Yeah, well, you know, the, the one thing that people will say whenever, they're, whenever someone... Uh, who's representing the Christian faith uh, participates in a joint service with pagans. Uh, they'll say, "Well, you know, it was uh, you know, it's televised and stuff, so it's a good opportunity to get to, to to give a witness to the gospel." And it's like, "Yeah, but context does matter. I mean, look at the gold. Like you mentioned, the golden calf. What did they say about the golden calf? They called it the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, right?" and and so they're still claiming to worship god and they're saying a lot of the right words but they have synch- syncretized it with false with false idolatry um and so here he's referring to them doing this with the temple that they've taken what's beautiful And they've recognized its beauty, right? But he's going to, but because they have uh, mixed it with worldly doctrines, he's going to give it over to the world. And the Chaldeans are going to come, they're going to destroy the temple. So, this is a warning for us today. You know, people are able to recognize the outward beauty of godly worship. Um, You know, many, there's been many saints throughout generations who've built beautiful art and architecture, they've composed beautiful music, poetry, all to God's glory. But then see how many people enjoy the work. See, see, for example, how many people enjoy the works of Bach, right? Mm. Um, they, they, they're not they're not necessarily believers. Most of them are not, right? People love to tour old churches. Um, but these words of Bach that, that were used to glorify God and his music, um, the words themselves are ignored. They're not taken to heart. Um, and more and more old churches are they're just empty, turned into museums or or, the, or they're filled with, you know, syncretism, false worship, um, idolatry. And you get like joint prayer services with Muslims and stuff like that, you know, in um, <clears throat> these churches that were once used to, to, to preach the gospel and its purity. And so what what we can learn from this is that God's finally going to destroy all of these beautiful things along with those who have profaned them with unbelief. So, you know, yes, God's Word creates beautiful things. When you look at Christian culture and Christian worship, it is beautiful. Um, But if we only look at the beauty without considering the substance, then we are profaning it, um, and God is going to take the beauty away.
0: It sounds very reminiscent of the conversation that Jesus has with his disciples prior to that long end times discourse at the end of the gospels because they they start that conversation by pointing out to jesus you know look at these magnificent and beautiful stones of the temple and then you know Mm -hmm. jesus turns it upside down and says you see them well there's going to be a day when one stone here is not left upon another and and that that idea you know of, of these beautiful things becoming an idol in and of themselves uh, that uh, Jeremiah talks about that. you know the, the people are, are saying about the temple back in Jerusalem, look, we've got the temple of the Lord, it's, it's there, so we're okay. They recognize the beauty and, and they even recognize at least in part that there's a word attached to it, but they flip it on its head and and end up mm-hmm. just worshiping the object, which which I think then goes back to that whole point of, of what the Lord's up to here, where he says, you know, they will know I'm the Lord that that it's not about yeah. that building but it's about the one who dwells there who's the lord
1: yeah yeah or like haggai says you know the the glory of this temple will be uh this of this latter temple will be greater than the former right um even though they're all crying because they can see by the foundation that it's not going to be as magnificent and not not as big um and so yeah that that that's that's a it's a great warning, um, admonition for all of us to uh, to trust in in the truth and not not just look at the beauty. And of course, the beauty that God gives through it is 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 a wonderful gift. But if it's not proceeding out of faith in the gospel, then it's ugly, um, and and, uh, and 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 it's going to just rot.
0: As the prophet continues his description, I mean, this is just a, a terrible situation that he's describing here, this judgment that the Lord's going to bring. These, you know, the robbers are going to come, the the Gentiles are going to come and defile the holy place of God, which certainly bears itself out in what happens in 587 B.C. And and as people look for for help from, say, like a prophet or from a priest— they're going to find that that even these places there's there's no hope to be found there's no word from god which i think if as as terrifying as a lot of this is it gets even more terrifying when they're looking for the vision from the prophet there in verse 26 and it's there's nothing there to be heard
1: yeah yeah exactly i mean the 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 law will perish from the priest is it that it's the same judgment that's declared um through amos in chapter 8 uh he uh i have it here i'll just read it he says behold the days are coming says the lord that i will send a famine on the land not a famine of bread nor the thirst for water but of hearing the words of the lord they shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east they shall not they shall run to and fro seeking the word of the lord but shall not find it and so you know we're seeing this right now already this judgment um this is, it's when god's word is watered down more and more um, it's increasingly difficult for people to find a good church to go to that's actually going to preach the pure word of God. So people are constantly deceived. And so even if they want to find the pure word of God, they're often, they can't find it in their own areas. Um, uh, you know, he compares to what Isaiah said in Isaiah 55 seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. That, that, that is, while his word is still being proclaimed. Take refuge in the gospel because the day is coming when it will be too late. And, you know, there's this uh, we can tell people it's not too late to to repent. But I think we got to be careful when we say we should not say that it's never too late to repent because it will be too late someday. Um, Right now, it's not The 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 word of the Lord is still being proclaimed, you know, Uh, get it while it's still there come and eat. It's free, you know? Um, and, and, uh, but that, you know, th- this is, this is, uh, it, again, we see, we see redemption hidden under judgment here, because uh, while we are warned about the day when the word of the Lord, that is the law, as he calls it, or the Torah, the teaching, the doctrine of, of salvation um will, will, will not be around anymore. We're warned of that. That should bring to mind the fact that, it, that it is currently still here and and so let's let's hang on to it um so that we so that we don't lose it
0: hmm. I mean I'm reminded of the way Paul writes in I think it's second Corinthians where you know he's talking about he says today is the day of salvation right and I, I think you know the mm-hmm. and, and the way Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and he he uses that text from Joel 2 talking about the end and and then he, I mean, he basically preaches. Look, the end is right now because of what Jesus has done. You've, I think it's in Hebrews four, where or maybe it's Hebrews three, or maybe both, where he he quotes from Psalm ninety five, and he he says, you know, today if you hear His voice, don't harden your hearts. Which I mean, I yeah. think I think this ties in very well to to the way Ezekiel preaches when he's talking about you know the end, the time, the day. One of those mountain peaks, I suppose, is any time the gospel is preached, where where you have that preaching of repentance, of sins and the repent and the forgiveness that is in Christ's name. That's that's that day. That's one of those mountaintops that that the prophet's seeing. And and when a person hears that and is brought to faith in Christ, like that's judgment day coming to that person. And the judgment is is not guilty, innocent for the sake of Christ. I mean, I think that's, you know, this urgency of of hearing the gospel and and believing it today, because we are at this end right now. I mean, I think that's that's one of those mountaintops, one of the ways that that this text from Ezekiel comes to us still today. We got got about four minutes here, Pastor Price. For any any response to that? Final touches, help us to wrap things up, point yeah, us to Christ here.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well that I mean that that reminds me of what Paul says to uh to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, he prefaces, that's he his preface to his charge, where he says, preach the word, right? Be, be prepared in season and out of season. Um, reprove, rebu- rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Um, I remember uh, this was the text that my dad preached on at my ordination um, about seven years ago. Where he said uh, he one things he one of the things he said was um, that when you are preaching the word of God and you are hearing the word of God you are standing on the edge of eternity. Um, this word is an, is the eternal word um, of God and uh, and the, and it gives it gives us perspective into the great depth of comfort from the gospel that that this gospel is not just a tidbit of information or just a mere historic detail, but it is the very fulfill, fulfillment of all time. It is, is the fulfillment of all of God's ways um, in the in the crucified and risen Lord Jesus. And When we hear this word, here is eternity, uh, you know, coming to us, and, uh, and it shows us the urgency in in repentance um, and in, in in hearing the word of the Lord. Um, and with that urgency, just as redemption is always hidden under judgment, so is great comfort always hidden under urgency. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while we are urgent, and we might seem to be fools and fanatics before the world who doesn't believe it, um, within such urgency is uh, is great uh, great comfort and assurance um, that God takes his word seriously. And so we can hear about this grave judgment that is coming, and that has come, and um, but uh but we but 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 underneath it all we we cling to God's uh, God's certain and bold proclamation of grace in Jesus Christ.
0: Pastor Andrew Price is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in New Haven, Missouri helping us today with Ezekiel chapter 7 verses 1 to 27. Pastor Price, thanks for being our guest today.
1: My pleasure. Thanks for having me again.
0: The end is upon you. The end has come in Jesus Christ. He has taken the wrath of God. It has been poured out upon him. The Lord has stricken him, Jesus, in your place. And now as you hear the preaching of the law and the gospel, and God works repentance and faith in your hearts, he brings you to that day, to that last day when Christ returns and he raises you from the dead, and you see him face to face, and you will know, as you know right now, that he is the Lord. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about the book of Ezekiel, comments on the series, we'd love to hear from you. Send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org, or use the open mic feature on the app to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.